Hey, good evening, church. Good to see everybody out tonight. I trust you had a restful afternoon and um, that you are ready for a time of worship as uh, we think about the church. Um, we've been on Sunday nights, first Sunday night every month, looking at uh, the church. Uh, last time, we discussed the foundation of the church from Matthew chapter 16. Tonight, um, I would invite you to turn to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2 tonight, as we look at uh, the beginning of the church and discuss that this evening. Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at the whole chapter tonight. I think that is fitting as there is much here and it all goes together. But as we're thinking about let's uh, let us open with a word of prayer if we can too tonight. Father, I thank you again for the opportunity to be in your house this evening uh, with your people gathered for a time of worship, a time of encouragement, a time of challenge. And I pray again, Father, as we are distracted by many things and we know that there's a big event going on tonight that doesn't really matter a whole lot, but uh, it's still kind of maybe a a distraction for us to think about. I pray we would set that aside and focus on the truth of your word and what it can teach us as a church body, but also as individuals. I pray tonight that we would, again, consider what your word says so that we may leave this building tonight changed just a little bit more like Jesus Christ. Pray that for everybody here. Pray that for myself. In Christ's name. Well, tonight is Super Bowl Sunday. Right now, the Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers are duking it out for the title of Super Bowl champion. And perhaps if you caught a glimpse of the Super Bowl coming in tonight, you flicked on the TV as you were about ready to leave for the evening service, or perhaps you saw pictures online. I have a friend of mine who was actually there, and uh, he posted some photos of uh, the stadium uh, on, on social media. You will notice something not unique, but normal. Everybody in the sta- stadium tonight, and those tailgating outside the stadium, and indeed around the country, are displaying their signs of loyalty. To their team, we were, we had to run over to Hy-Vee, uh after the service this morning and go over and uh, pick up some things for uh, lunch today. And you saw uh, by the various people, it was crazy over there, by the way, it's insane. You saw over there uh, by as people were coming in out the the where their loyalties uh, laid. For some, it was a 49ers jersey. I saw one gal had a Joe Montana jersey on. For others, it was a Kansas City Chiefs hat or a jersey that was on. I saw one gal wear a Green Bay Packers jersey, and I was so proud of her. I wanted to say, go, Pat, go. Unfortunately, they're not in the Super Bowl, but still, I, I love my team. Um, others were wearing different types of, of, uh, home, uh, of jerseys or team names. And they all proclaimed them, whether jerseys that they carry, signs that they're wearing. You should see how, how uh, fantastic uh, these elaborate get-ups get because they want to proclaim loud and proud who their team is and they want to cheer them on to victory. And while we're not engaged in a, a contest, as it were, in some sense we are, we're in a spiritual battle, scriptures talk about that, 
Uh, you and I, as the Church of Jesus Christ, are to testify of someone greater than a sports team or figure. And my challenge for you tonight, as you see on the screen, is I, I would want all of us to testify of Jesus Christ. For us as individuals, for us as a church, testify of Jesus Christ. Let's read Acts 2 together. It's 47 verses long. But let's go ahead and read, starting in verse 1. I'm reading from the ESV. When the day of Pentecost arrived, and they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, a multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and said, They are full of new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh seek corruption. This Jesus, God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing 
and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Don't you want to see that kind of revival? 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. A great chapter talking about the the beginning of the church and the, the great sermon at Pentecost. As, you read, as we read through there, I trust we notice the, the activity, the centrality of Jesus Christ in that passage. So if you and I are going to testify of Jesus Christ in our personal lives, in our corporate lives, in this body of Christ, we need to have uh, a mindset, four mindsets I see in this, this passage of Scripture that will help us do that. First mindset comes from verses 1 through 4, and the first one is this. We are Holy Spirit dependent. We are Holy Spirit dependent. Dependent. You saw there in the first four verses, when the day of Pentecost comes, they are all together um, in, in waiting for him. Now, uh, some things to note about this is that the Holy Spirit is uh, central to proclaiming Jesus. They were there gathered together. They had been told by Jesus to do so. Go back to Acts chapter 1, verse 4. Uh, they said they, had, they were asking God, well, now, Jesus, you've, you've risen from the dead. When's the kingdom going to start? And verse uh, 4 says it's, it's not that time. Verse 6 says it's not that time. But verse 4, he talks, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they were waiting. They were obedient. They were waiting together for Jesus to send his spirit. This shows how much they needed the spirit of God. They couldn't go out and do it on their own. They, they, were, they were recovering from a time of fear and anguish as they experienced the crucifixion and the resurrection. Their emotions were high. And yet they were fearful. So they needed the spirit of God to move as they began the mission of the church. And they were waiting together during, during a, a peak time. This is the day of Pentecost. This is the Feast of Weeks uh, in the Hebrew calendar. The feast was celebrated, uh, the wheat harvest. Uh, God initiated it all the way back in Exodus 34, verses 22 through 23. It occurred 50 days after Passover. So 50 days after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, 
we have this another great event about to happen that was just a normal event for on the Jewish calendar, but God had greater purposes for it. And they were gathered together waiting for Jesus to pour out his spirit. Secondly, also as we look into this, this section of being, being Holy Spirit dependent, we see also that the Holy Spirit fills believers for the purpose of testifying of God. So you have this, this mighty action that occurs. They experience this filling. Uh, there was suddenly from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they experienced, a, in part, a, a physical a filling of the Holy Spirit. They experienced it through this wind that comes into the house. It fills the place. It shakes them violently. These tongues of fire, some of your translations say tongues of fire. It's, just, it's tough to translate this, but it literally is tongues of fire. So many artists, have tried to figure out what this means and rendered it. Whatever it is, it's, it's a sign of the, of the Spirit's presence. It rests above their heads, symbolizing that He is there. But they also experience it in a, in a more unique way, is that as they are filled with the Spirit, they begin to speak in many different languages. And that's the idea of the word tongues. It's important to note and, and to sidestep just a little bit here that speaking in tongues refers to actual human languages, not gibberish or a heavenly language as those of the charismatic and Pentecostal movement would, would believe. Okay, so that, I, I want to make that distinction right now. These are actual human languages. The word in Greek is glossa, which can mean tongue or can mean language. It does not mean uh, talking without making sense. This is actual human language, as we'll see uh, demonstrated here in a in a in a in the next section. Okay, so when you talk to someone who says that you need to speak in tongues in order to magnify the presence of the Spirit, point them to this verse. They know the Holy Spirit has come; He has filled the believers for the purpose of service. And what happens for the believers in Acts is that the result was the Spirit gave them the ability to speak in other languages, not their own. And it was natural human languages. Notice the Spirit gives the ability. The end of verse 4. This doesn't come from them. It comes from the Spirit. They were all filled with the Spirit. They were all experiencing His filling. This is not uh, the... This is not proof of salvation. As some say, again, of the charismatic movement, you need to be filled with the Spirit in order to prove that you're saved. No, when we are, we are saved by Christ, we are sealed with the Spirit. The sealing of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit are two different things. When you get saved, you have the Spirit of God from now till eternity. You don't lose Him. You don't, you don't get Him back. You don't lose Him. You don't get Him back. You, you have the Spirit at salvation. The filling of the Spirit is this activity of God filling to use you, encouraging you, uh, and using you by being inside you and prompting you towards service. And that's what the believers are going through. God is giving them, through His Spirit, the ability to speak other languages. You see how we are to depend upon the Spirit to testify of Jesus? A, a lot of us, and it, me included, engage in tactical and thoughtful uh, 
ways of speaking the gospel. And we're, we are to do that. But many times we leave out the Spirit in the process. And so may I encourage us, we, we think about testifying of Jesus Christ. Remember the Spirit. Depend upon Him, because quite frankly, as Jesus says, without me you can do nothing. And without the Spirit, we can't testify of Jesus Christ faithfully and accurately. So we are to be Holy Spirit dependent. Secondly, from this passage, I also see another mindset that we need to have, and we are to speak the words of God. Okay? We are to speak the words of God. So we have further on, uh, starting in verse 5, a description of what's going on. The Feast of Weeks is going on, Pentecost. And all these people have gathered to hear, uh, and to be in this worship time. We are to speak the words of God. Uh, and this is for all people to hear. Or in other words, we meet people where they are. You notice, uh, again, the context here. Jews from every uh, walk of life are coming to Jerusalem to worship. Now, this includes those who are living at Jerusalem currently, this also includes those Jews who have traveled from many different countries to come. Uh, you'll see the list of countries in verses 8 through, through uh, 11, uh, listing them out from where they've come. Uh, one commentator made the note that these are probably foreigners who are either living in Jerusalem, perhaps at the end of their life they've come back uh, to Jerusalem to die, basically. They want to be buried near the promise of God's, uh, God's promises, which are centered in Jerusalem. Others are probably businessmen who have some means of wealth, who have come back and have been back for a long time. And others have just come back for the feast and have been here since, Pen and since Passover. They've, they've come, and the traveling is not what it is in our day, so they have to travel some distance. And so they're celebrating these two feasts together. But it's also important to note that they were God-fearing men and women who knew the Scriptures and how to obey God. Um, that's the idea of the devout men. Uh, the word there is just God-fearing. These aren't just your normal Jews who just live daily life and kind of obey the law. These are people who are actively engaged in trying to obey God through the, through how they, the means that they know, and that is the law. So there's, here's a prime opportunity uh, for ministry. So they're, they're, all, they're all gathered together. They're all experiencing uh, worship at Pentecost. And all of a sudden, this, this great commotion comes about. Verse 6, At this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, or they were confused. What, what's this we're hearing? We're hearing our language is being spoken. We normally, we're, we're speaking Greek and Hebrew right now, but we're hearing... Latin. We're hearing the language of Egypt. We're hearing languages from the... We're hearing them say and speak in our languages. How can this be? These are Galileans. These are Jews. They, they, they've lived here all their lives. They don't know our languages. They're confused. They're bewildered. They don't know what's going on. And they're proclaiming to you, notice at the end of verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues, languages, the works of God. So this just, this just was not uh, rabble or just aimless talk. 
the believers were out and testifying to each person. They were pulling an Egyptian aside, a Jew who lived down there, and say, hey, can I tell you about what God has just done? And they're doing it in his language. Or they're pulling a visitor from Rome and saying, listen to what God has done. And they're talking to the guy in his own language. They're pulling an Arabian, a, a dark-colored man, off the street and say, hey, let me tell you what God has done. And they're telling it in his language. And they're, they're confused as they're listening to this amazing event. So the content of our message is what God has done. It's not about what we're doing. It's not about what we are going to accomplish. They aren't, the believers here in Acts are not giving them their plan for the church. They're telling what God has done. And that needs to be our message as we testify of Jesus Christ. Tell them what God has done. Tell them what God has done. Tell them what God has done in your life. That, that is the greatest testimony to talk to somebody about what God has done for you. We also have to believe this, that we may be dis, uh, the message may be disbelieved or even mocked. Again, the confusion here results in many asking, what, what does this mean? You know, they're, they're searching for meaning here. Why is this going on? And others are mocking them, saying they're drunk with new wine. They think they've had a little bit too much to drink. You know, they celebrate a little bit too much. This, this, this is just something that is, it'll pass in time. They're drunk. It'll be okay. But that's not what's going on. So brothers and sisters, tonight are we speaking the wondrous works of God when we testify in Jesus Christ? That, to be, that is our message. We're talking about what God has done. So when we testify of Jesus Christ, we are to be Holy Spirit dependent. We are to speak the wondrous works of God. Thirdly, from verses 14 through 36, we proclaim Jesus Christ. Notice Peter stands up, he addresses the crowd, and gives to them, tells them what's actually going on. So our proclamation is enabled by God. So Peter's saying, verses uh, 14 through 21, he, he's defending their actions. They're not drunk, okay? That's not what's going on. Peter says, this is not, what's, this is not drunkenness. So it's only the third hour of the day, or 9 a.m. It's kind of an odd person. Uh, odd time for a person to be drunk. That's not what's going on. What's going on here is an act of God. And he quotes from the book of Joel, chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, which is the prophecy of God pouring out his spirit before the day of the Lord. Let me read that for us. Joel, chapter 2. Joel is talking about the day of the Lord. And he is uh, proclaiming that for all to hear. And, and he quotes it. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and on signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. This sun shall be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass every one calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Joel prophesied this so that all Israel will know that what God will do before the day comes. 
And quite frankly, what Peter is doing is he's telling the crowd, this is literally being fulfilled before your eyes. You are seeing prophecy being fulfilled. These, this is God pouring out his spirit on his servants so that they may tell of his salvation. I love it when Scripture interprets Scripture. And Peter, that's what Peter does. He goes back to the Old Testament. He looks at Joel and says, this is what's happening. This is fulfillment. Aren't you thankful that the Scripture runs together? Scripture supports each other. And Scripture can be used in that way. And it's interesting that as Peter quotes Joel, he, he, he leaves something out. And this is just a side note. He leaves something out. After he reads through the prophecy, he leaves out the end of verse 32, which is this. Last half, first part of verse 32 says, It shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape, as the Lord has said, and among survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. That last half of verse 32 is still yet to be fulfilled. So literally, Peter stops in the middle of verse 32 in Joel chapter 2 and said, this is fulfillment. The rest is still yet to come. It's a, just a little tidbit for you. little little teaser. That's still to come. But he uses Joel chapter 2 to defend their actions, saying, this is God. This is not us. Secondly, also, our, our proclamation is based in the person of Jesus Christ. Peter launches right into it. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, not Peter of Galilee. Jesus of Nazareth okay, was confirmed as Messiah through his works and the signs that God did through him. That's attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. He was and is the Messiah. This was testified. And you know it. That's interesting. As you yourselves know, these Jews were not ignorant of the truth. They saw Jesus in action. Fifty days before, they had seen Him crucified. They knew of all these things. And Peter says, this is the Messiah. They had intimate knowledge of this reality. They weren't ignorant. They knew what was going on. They knew who this Jesus was. And they knew, in verse 23, that He was crucified and killed. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. God planned the crucifixion. God used lawless men. And God used the crowd that he was, Peter was speaking to. Whom you crucified and killed. Can you imagine? You're a Jew. You've come you're, you're at Pentecost, you're worshiping, you hear all of this, this clamor and this, this confusion going on. You hear this sermon being preached and all of a sudden the speaker says, you. I mean, now, as, as preachers, we're not... You can point the finger at people while you're preaching and it's not encouraged, okay? We're, we're not here to condemn, we're here to encourage, Okay? But how would you feel if, if, if the speaker pointed the finger at you? What would that make you feel like? Now, again, the, the, Peter is getting the crowd to think 
about Jesus, but he's also getting them to acknowledge their actions. You crucified him. This was God's plan, but you had a part in it. Oh, oh, by the way, but also he raised him from the dead. God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death so that he, uh, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Jesus rose again by the power of God. Again, uh, here in verse 25 through verse 28, um, Peter uses Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, to prove the resurrection. For the psalmist, David, he was confident of God's presence in his life and his death. That's, that's how Peter describes it. Uh, David testified of God's presence in his daily life, and he was confident that he would uh, experience God's presence in death. But Peter says in verse 29 that David is still dead. And, and you know this too. So what did that phrase mean? What did that passage mean? And the Jews were intimately familiar with where David was buried. Today, if you go to Jerusalem, uh, you can go to what they believe is the tomb of David. And many, many Jews go there and pray and, and worship and, and seek God there. So says, you know where his tomb is. So if he's dead, who is he talking about? Because he is seeing corruption as we are speaking. Well, Peter says it's talking about Jesus Christ. He is the fulfillment of Psalm 16, 8 through 11. He is the one who rose again and has not seen corruption. Oh, and by the way, we're witnesses to this. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. So Peter is not speaking existentially. He is speaking experientially. We have seen him face to face. So therefore, that proves both by their witness, by the testimony of the Scripture, that Jesus is the Messiah. Verse 33, verse 36, He is the right hand of the Father, signifying that Jesus has authority, divine authority. His pouring out of His Spirit signifies His deity. He's at the right hand of God. He has poured out His Spirit, fulfillment of Joel 2, proving that Jesus is God. And Peter goes to Psalm 110, verse 1, to prove this. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. How can this David be talking about himself? No, he's talking about the Messiah. Jesus fulfills this. And in verse 36, Peter can confidently say to the Israelites and Jews who are listening to him, both proselytes and Jews by birth, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain the idea is absolutely sure you can know this that God has made him both Lord and Christ this Jesus whom you crucified the one that you saw hanging on a tree just 50 days ago that is your Messiah the one who has been promised the sovereign king Are you and I proclaiming Jesus Christ? As we go out, as we, we go out into our jobs, into our lives, into our homes, are we proclaiming Jesus, the Messiah? So if we're going to testify of Jesus Christ, we're going to have that mindset. We need to be Holy Spirit dependent. 
We need to be proclaiming the works of God. We need to be proclaiming Jesus Christ. And then lastly, we desire the salvation and transformation of precious souls. I love verse 37. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart the, and said to Peter and the rest of the, rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? That's a great question to ask. What shall we do? Quite frankly, they were literally stabbed in the heart. Okay? Uh, Vincent's word studies put it this way. Paul's sermon convicts, here therefore, of the sharp, painful emotion, the sting produced by Peter's words. Peter's words had a stinging effect on his audience. They were convicted. This is true. We were wrong. We crucified the Messiah. Now, now, brothers, what shall we do? There's this, there's this pleading. What are we going to do? And then Peter invites them to repent and be baptized. And they respond. Note the progression of a conversion. It's repentance first, then baptism. It's not baptism saves and repentance together. It's repentance first and baptism. Repentance and baptism are the results of a convicted heart. The forgiveness that is acquired through conversion and the Holy Spirit is received after conversion. For the promises for you, verse 39, for your children, for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The sealing ministry of the Holy Spirit is talked about in Scripture. This is promised to those who believe, both the Jews who are hearing him and those who are still afar off, the ones that God is calling to himself. So Peter keeps encouraging them with other words. It would seem that as the sermon continues, he is he's continually talking to them about the truth, the reality, the need for repentance. Save yourselves. Trust in the Messiah. In verse 41, so they who received his word were baptized in the same day where they were added unto them about 3,000 souls. 3,000 people get saved that first sermon. That's a great revival that happened purely by God working through his people who testified of him. And also notice as well that we work together to live out our faith. They start off by devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. They adhere to it. They fellowship with one another via food. Okay, they were good Baptists. Food and fellowship went together. Okay, They started they stuck to the teaching. They stuck to the fellowship. They prayed together. They were devoted to that. That was something they continued to do over and over again. The apostles continued their ministry. It was confirmed with many wonders and signs. The church were together. They had, there's this unity in the church. They existed as a family and worshiped together with thankfulness to God for what he had done. They were, they were living their lives in public and private as though they were one. Sharing with one another, meeting needs where they are at, daily worshiping, being thankful for what God had given to them, praising Him, and also having a good report of those who were on the outside. That's the idea of the, having favor with all the people. The idea there is they were looked on favorably by even those who did not believe. And then God continued to grow their number. God added to their number by means of many who are being saved day after day. This implies 
that the testimony of the church was consistent and effective. They, they, they didn't just stop at 3,000. They kept going on and testifying again and again and again of what God had done for them and how that Jesus had died for them. Brothers and sisters, as we think about our church, as we think about Altoona in Iowa here in 2020, the principles that are, that are clear in Acts chapter 2 are the same principles we can live by today. We are all called to testify of Jesus Christ, whether as a corporate body or individuals. We are all to have that function, that desire, that purpose. How do, and how do we accomplish that? Again, there are four mindsets we need to have. We are Holy Spirit dependent. We, we are dependent upon him to do the work. We can't do it ourselves. We proclaim the works of God. We look to him to be reminded of what God has done for us. We proclaim Jesus Christ. And we desire the tr- salvation and transfer, transformation of precious souls. When we have those mindsets, when we think we have that correct mindset in our mind, we will be effective for Jesus Christ. So as we go into this week, let's be reminded of that. Let's testify of him. For he alone is worthy of the worship and praise. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the privilege it is to be called your child. Thank you for the truth that was proclaimed so many years ago by Peter and the believers at Pentecost. And Father, that same truth is still true today. It is the same message we're supposed to proclaim. May we all do that. It is about you and not us. May we have that mindset even as we go through this week. Testifying of you, for you have done great things for us. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.